Hey, hey, folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, I'm sure you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. The GameTime app is simple. It's quick. It's easy to navigate. And now, thank you, GameTime, they are hooking us up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here is what you'll need to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Ticket section of the app. Create an account. And then under the Billing section, just plug in the redeem code, The Athletic. Once again, that's The Athletic, all one word, and it gets you $10 off your first purchase. That is free money. Love it, right? The credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who use the redeem code. And this is the big deal. It expires at the end of the year. That's tomorrow, December 31st, 2019. So hurry, make moves quick, and score last-minute tickets. For the Athletic Podcast Network, I'm Kate Scott. Welcome to The Update. On today's show... No one covers Pac-12 football with as much intensity and passion as Pac-12 Network analyst Yogi Roth. So with my California Golden Bears taking on Illinois today at 1 o'clock at Levi's, and Stanford fans wondering what's going on with so many student-athletes entering the transfer portal down on the farm, we figured this was the perfect time to get caught up on all things Pac-12. It's Monday, December 30th. Well, Yogs, today is the day. Cal, Illinois, Red Box Bowl at Levi's Stadium. Why should fans, why, why are you excited to watch this matchup this afternoon? Well, a, a bunch of reasons. One, it's just another game. You know, I, I love bowl games, even games like this. You know, I played in four of them when I was playing. They weren't BCS games back then or college football playoff games or New Year's Six games, but it's another opportunity to play. So I always think about seniors. Like, it's your last time, and seniors always make a decision bowl week. Like, do I just want to, like, pack it in and just have fun, or do I want to, like, really leave with a purpose? And this class and Justin Wilcox guiding it, they're mission-minded on winning a bowl game. You know, last year they got to one, and they were – I'm trying to think of the best word to use that is appropriate, but <laughs> yeah. they were not happy with how they lost. You know, like getting there wasn't good enough. So I think when you look at this bowl game, you could say, ah, it's just another one of those games, whatever. But you dive into both teams, right? Illinois, Lovey Smith, there's a world where he's not even the coach midseason. And then they get a huge win against Wisconsin. You know, I'm a huge fan of their offensive coordinator, Rod Smith. He came from uh, Rich Rod's staff at at Arizona. I've known him forever. Um, So they finally got it going, you know, and they've done it creatively with their roster. Brandon Peters, a quarterback, a Michigan transfer. Daniel or Josh Mentor Bebe, wide receiver, USC transfer. Trayvon Sydney, a receiver, USC transfer. Oluwole Batiku, a guy that we did a feature on our stories, the show you host on the Pac-12 Networks, a defensive end. So there's some Pac-12 ties, and Justin Wilcox was at SD when when those guys were getting recruited. So there's some really fun ties, uh, but overall, bottom line for Cal, this is the beginning of what I will call Justin Wilcox 2.0. And they got to kick it off right with a different focus and different mindset. And, and I think they will. Speaking of the Cal seniors, who were obviously led by Evan Weaver, we both talked to him at the beginning of this season, and he had this long goal list, breaking Hardy Nickerson's single-season tackles record, check, bringing the axe back to Berkeley, check, getting to a better bowl, check, and then winning that bowl, which you just mentioned, and we'll obviously find out the result of that soon enough. How would you quantify what Evan Weaver has done for, for Justin Wilcox in this Cal program the past few years? Oh, man. 
he's a perfect reflection of Justin in terms of under the radar, not necessarily seeking attention, but an overachiever. And then when you get to know him, you're like, nope, that's just who he is. He's a high performer. He and Evan have these similar paths of like, you knew they had all this ability. And then when they started, you know, kicking some butt and leading, you know, coaching searches or the nation and tackles, you kind of like, yeah, oh yeah, I get it now. Like every, what everybody said early on about their potential is, is spot on. So to, to answer the question about Evan, he's incredible, right? Like football players, linebackers specifically are asked to do one job, just tackle the guy with the ball. And he does it better than anybody in the country. So like for everybody that wants to get into 40 times and 10 yard shuttles and all these things that, you know, he'll get knocked for at times. End of the day, the instinctiveness that he plays with, with a huge chip on the shoulder is a differentiator. And the Weavers headed to the NFL, Yogi. A whole lot of talent is coming back to Berkeley, especially on offense next season, where there's now vacancy at the coordinator position. Bo Baldwin headed to take over the Cal Poly program after today's game, and he's taken running backs coach Nick Edwards with him. What do you think Baldwin's replacement needs to possess to take Chase Garbers and the Cal offense to the next level? And obviously, if you want to throw any names in there that you'd like, I'd be okay with that too. Like I said kind of earlier, this is Justin Wilcox 2.0. Right. He came in first time head coach uh, with a wealth of experience. He went to Wisconsin to learn how to be a head coach and really refine that craft. Right. You look at some of the people that he's learned from, some of them are best in class, right? Like Chris Peterson. This guy's going to be first ballot college football Hall of Famer, you know, who gave Justin his first DC job. Jeff Tedford recently retired, but same tree. When you think about the relationship between those three guys that they've had when Justin was a young linebacker coach, when you got to know him, Kate, let alone spending time in the SEC spending time in Los Angeles, going through the drama that was when Steve Sarkeesian was at USC and the Clay Helton transition, and then settling into where he is. And I say it's 2.0 because every head coach gets an opportunity to reset or elevate. Reset is usually when you get fired. Elevate is when you have an opportunity to fill some coaching needs because guys have had success and moved on. And so I think for Bo, fired up for him. He's literally one of the best interviews I've ever been around. He's so personable. I used to call his games when he was at Eastern. I'm excited for him and that opportunity. And then you think about opportunity at Cal. This is a place that had Aaron Rodgers, as you know, Jared Goff, as you know. And then we forget about even some of the other quarterbacks that have come out and kicked out to the NFL, even if they came in via transfer. But, you know, there's an offensive history here. You know, it's not like we're talking about Iowa or, you know, some of the other programs in the country you think of like, that. Ah, they're just old school but they don't have first ballot, whether it's all Americans or Heisman candidates or for number one picks as the quarterback spot. They, they do. Problem is they haven't been able to recruit that. So I think first and foremost, he needs somebody that's going to be able to walk into the home of the top quarterback in California and say this year, every school in this conference, other than maybe two, which would be Utah and possibly Washington, will have a quarterback that's going to return for a third year as a starter. So you can come here and start right now. And I think that's, that's huge. I think that's the number one thing is somebody that can come in and close the deal with Tyler Shuck. who's going to start at Oregon next year. He should have been a Cal, in my opinion. You know, like you got to close that loop. So I think now you, you get it. I would bring a guy with some NFL ties, most likely. So I'd say like guys like Doug Nussmeyer, Jed Fish, maybe even um, Kevin O'Connell. You know, some guys that, you know, maybe their teams will keep it going. Maybe their staffs are already been fired uh, and have also had experience in the college game or would want some experience. Mike Sanford is another name that comes to mind. He's currently the offensive coordinator at Utah State. He was the head coach 
uh, who's Western Kentucky, and then he's former quarterback coach at Stanford. So guys that know how to recruit the conference, know what college football is all about, but know how to use a tight end, know how to use two tight ends, know how to scheme up teams. Because I think this Cal team, when they're at their best, they're beating you with not just performance, but also scheme. You know, you look at Oregon State and Brian Lindgren, the job he's done. To me, Cal should be doing similar stuff offensively. They might not have a first-round pick or receiver, Kate, but they got guys that are good enough to get open. So that's probably the pool of candidates. I think it'll be done by the time uh, you know people are tuning into the Red Box Bowl, but uh, we'll see. You know, I think it's probably my short list, and maybe you got to wait till the end of the NFL season. Defensively, as we discussed, Weaver gone, Ashton Davis, a few others from that great Cal secondary, likely NFL bound as well. Uh, are you concerned about a dip in the production on the defensive side of the ball for the Bears next year? Oh, yeah, I think you have to. I think a lot of times we get enamored with, like, what the staffs have done. I, I, I did that this year with UW. Lost nine starters, but I was like, it's Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake. They'll be fine. Mm-hmm. They weren't. You know, they took a dip in production. S- same thing's going to happen here. But when Jordan Kanashik left, Coin Dang stepped up. When Evan Weaver leaves, is it Mo Iosefa? He's going to be a freshman from the state of Hawaii coming in who is a gifted linebacker, you know, and they've got some depth behind him at the linebacker spot. So, yes, this defense will take a little bit of a hit. There'll be a learning curve. But the biggest thing that they need to do is they need to make sure they continue to play with the chip that Evan Weaver had. I mean, this is a kid in Evan Weaver. I'm sure you know the story, but this guy literally had a rock that he pulled up from his backyard where he grew up in Spokane. And he would write the names of, like, people he was going to prove wrong on the rock. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't have a chip. He had, like, a boulder <laughs> that he put on a plane. And he said it was so heavy he couldn't drive it to Berkeley, so it stayed at his house. So, yeah, man, I, I think that's the thing. And I think that's where Coindang comes in, Cam Good. You look at Brett Johnson, who played as a true freshman, or in Patu. Obviously, guys in the back end would be Elijah Hicks. You know, they got some younger players, Chagose on a CM. So they're going to take a dip, but I don't think that – It'll be crazy dramatic, but I think the productivity that we've seen won't be as dramatic, probably, as what we've seen. As you mentioned, early signing day has come and gone. What was Cal's focus there this year? Yeah, great question. They had to get better on offense, to me, to kind of the point we just referenced, new offensive coordinator. And they were able to land some players that you're like, wow, no receiver coach, right? Nick Edwards, who had coached the receivers, as you referenced, was leaving. Burl Toller is still there, but Jeremiah Hunter, He's a stud now. He came out of uh, Fresno, California. You, you know, you know that community well. Good place. He, he's he's an imp- that's right. He he's an impact player to me. He's one of my top receivers on the board. You look at Mason Mangum. We talked about him on the Pac-12 Network signing day. This guy's like windmill dunk type wide receiver. They flipped him from Arkansas late. DJ Rogers was a huge get. They don't get him usually. They beat SC, LSU, Oregon. Uh, he's kind of like. I comp him to Austin Safarian Jenkins, Hunter Bryant. Like if he can handle the maturity of playing in college football, he'll be just fine. And then the sleeper is Justin Baker, who I don't know if I like just because I think we lean to people we see a little bit of ourselves in. This guy's like 5'10", wide receiver, uh, <laughs> came from an awesome high school. I talked to his high school coach, uh, who was a good friend. I know for a long time. He used to coach in college, and he was the class president for four years. He's just dialed. He's trustworthy. And they need depth there, right? They got Nico Romijo heading into his third year. I think Justin Baker will provide that. And then Tommy Christakos is a stud out of the state of Arizona. Uh, again, you look at Charlie Regal there, recruiting coordinator, tight ends coach, special teams coordinator. He crushed it for him, you know, to be honest with you. He's, uh, he'll, play, he'll play the minute he gets on campus as that flex tight end, slot wide receiver. There's not many linebackers that could cover 
this guy. Coin Dang's one of them, but thankfully he's on the same team. All right, Yokes, let's switch gears. Talk about the Stanford Cardinal, and we got to start with how many guys have entered the transfer portal since their season ended. A quarter of this year's Week 1 starting lineup, including former starting quarterback K.J. Costello, which might be the norm somewhere else, but this is not something we're used to seeing at Stanford. So what is going on? Yeah, I think that we got to talk the truth about this one, right? Like, the number is dramatically. Like, I totally get that. So if let's just start at K.J. You know, my understanding is K.J. is going to look at the portal to see what type of schools reach out to him. But there's also a chance he still goes to the NFL. So I wouldn't be shocked if he still does, you know, if he ends up going to the league. I look at some of the other guys. More than half of them didn't really play, you know. So it's not like you're saying, oh, this is huge. This is a dramatic number there. The ones that did, the ones that did start, right, there's some defensive linemen, you know, because I think they're all graduating. Like, did they get into grad school? And or do they think they're going to play? You know, for as much as we light up the portal around this, like, what a dramatic number. There's also a world where Michael Williams says, you know what, like, Thomas Booker's pretty gifted. Josh Pacola, pretty talented. I just think there's something there that's real regarding that, as well as guys saying, you know what, I want to try something different, which David Shaw's always been in favor of. So it's a big number because it jumps out at you because of, the like, numerically, where it resides. But personally, I look at this team with the amount of young guys they played last year. They played 20 true freshmen, 12 of them burned a red shirt. So it's not like 20 guys got two and a half games or even four games. Like a lot of them played majority of the season. So I'm not worried about it. Like I look at Davis Mills, he's clearly the starter. Then you look at even Tanner McKee, when they get back off a mission this year and Jack West will compete. I know I'm probably in the minority, but I think when you look at it objectively, and you're like, oh, okay, like they've recruited really well on the interior defensive line the last couple of years. They have some depth on the offensive line this year, so not worried about one of those guys. Tight ends, they have some depth now based on this recruiting class. So I didn't, uh, I didn't trip about it, to be honest, when you, when you really look at the reality of grad school, performance, are they even going to play? I think it's okay, I guess is where I net out. Yeah, and as you mentioned, all of the guys who are – planning to enter the portal, will have graduated from Stanford, so all of them will be grad transfers. Stanford's early signing day, what was their focus, and how was their follow-through? It was really impressive. They probably had, you know, one might say, like, Oregon had the biggest get of the day because they got Justin Flo, who was a potential USC lean. But I go with EJ Smith as probably the biggest get in the conference because Justin Flo came from the Pac-12 footprint. EJ Smith came from Dallas, Texas. And you know the last name because of his dad, Emmett, right? And you think about what the truth is, again, of Stanford, right? Under Coach Shaw, three running backs have been Heisman finalists. The only other school that can say that is Alabama, right? And you look at what this guy's done, 110 catches for about 1,600 yards in high school, ran for over 3,000 yards and 49 touchdowns. Like That's his career. Here's like a comp. Christian McCaffrey, he had 110 receptions in high school, right? And he had 99 catches while he was a Stanford Cardinal. And oh, by the way, he just broke the NFL single season record by a running back of receptions with 107 in 2018. And Stanford returns less than 300 yards combined rushing. So I just think that this guy's got the ability to be an impactful player the second he gets there. I love that he comes from a big time family and the family's letting him live his own life. 
know, I spent time with Emmett at the opening. The opening is basically football heaven and high school football. <laughs> and it was in Jerry world over the summer. And I sit on the sideline after being like, this is pretty cool. I'm talking to Emmett Smith. I started asking him about parenting and asking him about his son and his work ethic. And he was asking me and our staff a bunch of questions about recruiting. And this guy's just raised the right way, like a little antidote about him because he's such a highly ranked guy. When I'm around these camps, a lot of times kids are trying to like steal gear or trying to get gear or trying to get more gear. And this guy, I remember him saying like, hey, do you guys see my gloves? I lost them. And I imagine somebody probably swiped them when they saw him on the grass because that's kind of the culture that sometimes happens there. And I said, no, I don't know. And he goes, all right, no big deal. He didn't say like, hey, coach, can you get me another pair? Hey, I'm, I, I need him to play. He was just like, yeah, I didn't flinch. And that's like a silly example, but it is an example of this young man. So I, I thought that was huge. I referenced Tanner McKee, obviously a talented player. And then I look at John Humphreys. I had a chance to talk to him. He was my number one receiver in this year's class. And it was fun talking to David Shaw about him because when I watched him run in high school on film for Corona Del Mar, which went 16 and 0, won a state title this year in Southern California and in the state. I was like, man, he looks like how Ed McCaffrey ran in the NFL. And I asked Coach Shaw about him, and he said, you know, that's exactly who I thought he reminded me of as well. He's got six foot five, Kate, over 200 pounds. He can do everything. He can run. He's a four six dude. He can drop his hips. He wins the 50 50 balls, and he's about life outside of football in terms of. He said he went to Stanford when we talked because he had to think if I had a career ending injury. Not what degree would be great, but where would I enjoy my experience? So I, I just think his head's on his shoulders really well. And then you dive into the nuts and bolts. Ironically, his dad played with Ed McCaffrey at Stanford. Oh, his wow. older brother played with one of the McCaffrey brothers at Duke. There's a lot of unique ties, let alone he wrote he read a book over the summer called How to Make Your Bed that was recommended by Bobby Kennedy, the receiver coach. And I just kind of fell in love. That was the end of it for me. <laughs> but I, at the end of the day, I go back to what Pete Carroll taught me. He said, at the end of the day, when you're offering someone, Kate, if it's between two guys, ask yourself, who would I pick in the park? If I was just playing anything in the playground, who would I take? I would take Christian McCaffrey. I would take John Humphreys. And John Humphreys is a dynamic athlete, let alone wide out. And I think he's going to be a difference maker the second he gets to campus. Yogi, as always, love your passion. Love your insight. Love getting to work with you at the Pac-12 Network. Have a great new year, and uh, you'll join us again soon. Yeah, enjoy the game. This is fun. We got football now. Finally, we had a couple days off, but I'm glad we got some games. Speaking of Stanford, congratulations to the Stanford women's volleyball team, who earlier this month won its second straight NC2A championship. The senior class of Catherine Plummer, Jenna Gray, Morgan Hens, Adriana Fitzmorris, and Caitlin Keefe, just the second class ever to win three volleyball national championships in their four years on the farm. Next year, the seniors on the Stanford women's soccer team going to try to join them after they won their second national title in three seasons at the beginning of December. Stanford's men's water polo team also crowned national champions this month. For more great football breakdown from Yogi, head to his website, yogiroth.com. Give him a follow on social at Yogi Roth or watch him and me on the Pac-12 network or on the free Pac-12 Now app. Coming up in the next few weeks here on The Update. We talked a lot of Giants last week, so we're hopping on BART, heading across the bay to the Coliseum to get caught up on all things green and gold with the great Susan Slusser. As college football's national championship nears, the editor-in-chief of our college football site, Stuart Mandel, stops by to talk West Coast ball and when all that talk of a potential 18 playoff might actually turn into reality. We'll also dive into the NFL's wildcard weekend. And on our next show, 
Monte Ellis was the face of the Warriors franchise in the late 2000s. And then, just as quick as he was on the floor, the Mississippi Missile was gone. But his impact remains. The story of how Stephen Curry and the current Dubs dynasty don't exist without him. As told by Oakland native and longtime Warriors writer Marcus Thompson. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of The Update. If you liked what you heard, hit the old subscribe button. And if you didn't, well, we're just getting started. <laughs> so we hope you'll stick around. I'm Kate Scott. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Wednesday.